Welcome to the LifePoint Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ through intentionally serving, giving, and caring for our neighbor. We bring you Christ-centered messages from our pastors each Sunday, as well as engaging discussions relevant to your life. So grab a cup of coffee, get comfortable, and join us as we strive to grow as followers of Christ and make a positive impact in our community. Hey, we're in Psalm. Grab a Bible, open it up to Psalms 19. Psalms 19. I opened up with Psalms 1 last week, and now we're going to jump to 19. 19 is literally a worship song. So we just finished singing three worship songs. Psalm 19, from beginning to end, all 14 verses, it is a worship song to the Lord. But it's not just any worship song. It is quite possibly the doctrinal worship song for the Christian believer. Now, when I say doctrine, I know you're like, oh boy, now we get into doctrines and people arguing over which doctrine. None of that. This is David inspired by the true almighty God giving you the simplest, most beautiful form of who God is and the purest doctrine of who he is in 14 verses. And he, being a gifted musician, put it to the tune of this song. Okay, so that's what Psalm 19 is. And my prayer for you this week, as the Lord has put this on my heart, is that we would be able to walk out of here, and maybe if not today, then the Holy Spirit would lead you to want to be able to say these words with the same conviction David spoke them of God. We read the Psalms, we read the Bible, we read about Abraham's faith, right? We read about Moses' courage, about David's courage to step out. We read of Gideon. We read of Joseph's forgiveness. But how many times do you actually read it and say, yes, that's me. I can do that. I may not be Esther. I may not be Joseph. But I serve the same God, and the same God who upheld them upholds me. Amen? Come on, we got to stop reading this book like it's ancient news. And we're just trying to brush up on our history. It's not history. It's past, present, and future. It's happening right now. The same God that filled them will fill you. But how do we get to speak these words? That's the question the Lord wanted me to put before you. So let's read these words because they're intense. Ready? Remember, it's a song. I won't sing it, but it is a song. Here we go. The heavens, they declare the glory of God. The skies, they proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. And no sound is heard for them. And yet, their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. And it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. I'm going to stop there for a second. These first six verses, this is a three-part song, right? We have that, don't we? Verse one, verse two, verse three. We still follow the same uh, organization in our modern songs today. This is the first verse. And what the first verse is saying is that Almighty God communicates through His creation. The heavens declare His glory. The skies proclaim the knowledge that there is an Almighty Creator. Right? 
And then he goes on to say, it doesn't speak with words. You can't hear it like you can hear me talking right now. But the creation demands a creator. And it not only demands it, it so exemplifies the nature of the creator that David says, I'm in awe of him. I'm in awe of his beauty. How many of you know there's such a thing as nonverbal communication? Right? You all did it by raising your hand. Yeah, well done. What? And by you all, I mean like eight people who raised their hand. If you have teenage daughters or sons, right? Have you ever had them roll their eyes at you? Why is that so frustrating? Because of what it means, right? It is the most disrespectful. It is saying, oh my goodness, I am so done with you and this convert. The rules. It, it means all of that, right? And you feel it when they roll their eyes at you. And that's why you're like, but I can't. But I want to, but I can't. Silent, nonverbal communication is sometimes the most powerful form of communication. In fact, in our country, we've developed a way to tell people we love them and we're praying for them when we're driving and they cut us off. You're number one. You're the first on my prayer list. That's what you're saying, right? Nonverbal communication. David is saying the Lord expresses his love for us through the nonverbal communication of his creation. Now think about this for a second. This isn't religious garbage. Think about this. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't even have to in your heart believe there's a God. And yet, when you go and you sit on a sandy beach and you watch those waves crash in, it fills you with awe, doesn't it? In fact, for some of you in here, you can sit there for hours, get sunburnt, not even go in the ocean, but just watch it, and it will bring peace to many people. For me, not the ocean, for me, it's the mountains. I want a mountains, I want the lake, I want the wind blowing through the pine trees, I want a fishing pole, and I'll sit there all day catching no fish, which unfortunately happens a lot, but I don't care because I'm just there. I'm in the presence of that place, of the beauty of that nature. You guys know what I mean? And it's not my religion, it's not my relationship with God. Everybody, no matter where you're from, can name a place that they get away from everything and they just gaze upon the stars, the beauty of the planets, the moon, right? We all have this thing. And the thing that is so interesting to me is how can seven billion plus people all look at creation and find awe and beauty and rest in it? When we believe in different things, we have different experiences, different gods, different sets of cultural understanding and all of this. And yet, when we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord's craftsmanship, it instills something in you. There's something there. You see, we were made for beautiful things. Do you know that? That's why we love artwork. That's why artists, you can sit and stare at a piece of art, you'll pay money for it. That's why we love beautifully made cars. That's why we love sports at the highest level because it's incredible to see something being done at the very best humans can do it. We're designed for beauty. I want, to I want you to think about that for a second. That's not just an American thing. It's not a cultural. Human beings are designed for beauty. 
because we were made in the image of the one who created us. We were made in his image. And so I always find it interesting when somebody who says, I don't believe in the Lord, can take full joy and rest and peace in the creation of the Lord, and yet deny the very artist who made it. So this is what David is saying. He says, the heavens, they declare. It's like a bullhorn to the world that you are there and that you are active. But we need more than that, don't we? We need more than just the nonverbal communication, right? We need intent, because also in nonverbal communication in nature, we see hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, devastating parts of life, which isn't so beautiful. And so that alone doesn't let us know that God is good and perfect and loves you. But it's the first part of the praise. It's the most basic. Hear me on this. It's what we would call presuppositional. It's foundational. I praise you first and foremost because I see that you exist. And what you have created is beyond anything else man can create. And it is beautiful and the warmth from the sun deprives me of nothing and it goes out to everybody. And so he gives praise for the glory of the Lord. Now we get to verse 2. In verse 2, here we go. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing my soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And the decrees are firm, and all of them are righteous for they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey from a honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Verse 2. The Lord speaks non-verbally through creation, but then he opens up verse 2 and says something so fascinating. Your law is perfect. And what does it do? What does the law do to him? Revives, refreshes. Now, take a minute, because he's not saying your mercy. He's not saying your kindness. He's not saying your salvation and the taking away of my sins is perfect and it revives my soul. He's saying your Law, the law, the rules, the boundaries. At his time, what would have been the law? It's five books, the Torah. He says, when I read it, it refreshes me. Who here, to be refreshed, ever goes to like your company manual and just sits down and says, oh yeah, tell me about days off. Tell me about dress code. Sick days. It's the manual for how to live life. He says, that refreshes me. This should cause us to stop and pause and say, does the law of the Lord bring refreshment to my soul? Do I find myself more in love with the person of Jesus Christ when I read the law? What about when I understand the law in light of who Jesus was? 
See, there wouldn't be this argument amongst the Christian church that the law was not abolished but fulfilled. We would say, of course the law is still there. And it's so beautiful because Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. He fulfilled it. And now I can understand it. Who here has been to the Grand Canyon since they have built that glass walkway out over the expanse? Has anybody been there? Have you walked on it? Right? Is it slightly horrifying? Did you walk out to the end? <laughs> so do they have a railing though, don't they? Out at the end. Had you walked out to the end, you would have been very happy the railing was there. Not going to even do it. Not even going to think about it, she says. Not, mm-mm. When I was in Ecuador, I've told this story, but when we were coming back out of the Andes down to the airport, it was at night and there was fog and rain was coming down and this driver was mental. He did not care which side of the road he was on. He would pass cars on blind turns going down a mountain that had no guardrails. I have never been more grateful for the guardrails on our U.S. highways than at that moment, right? There were no guardrails. And these were steep drop-offs in horrible weather. And this guy just, he felt like that was his road. And by God's grace, that night it was. I remember I put my worship music on my headphones. I closed my hoodie tight around my face. And I just said, Lord, I'll see you in a bit. (laughs) And I laid down and I just, I didn't want to hear the screams of the other passengers. I just wanted to be with God in glory. And then I woke up at the airport and I was like, oh, we made it. Thank you. Boundaries, as it says in uh, uh, Hebrews, that discipline in the moment is never pleasant. But to those who understand what discipline is doing, they are grateful for it. It is a good thing. It is joyous. Boundaries are never pleasant. But if you come to understand that the boundaries were put there by somebody who loves you, right, parents? You put a boundary around your kids when they're at the pool. Why? Because you love them. Kid doesn't know. They're fighting the whole time to get out of the boundary. But it's there because you love them. Hear this. Your law, O Lord, is perfect. And it refreshes my soul. David has gotten to a position of his relationship with God where he does not fear being smitten by God. He does not fear that God's going to punish him. He's not trying to be good to get God to like him. He is absolutely, completely in love and undone by God. And he recognizes that the boundaries that God has set in place through the Torah, through the law, are there because of God's undying love for him. Now imagine you falling on your knees and saying, thank you, Lord, for your law. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't let me get away with that sin that I thought I got away with. Thank you, Lord, that you continue to discipline and put people in my life that even though I hate it when they do it, you love me too much to let me go. That's what David's praising. And then he says this, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. You know what that word is in Hebrew? It means a straight edge. A straight edge is what a carpenter would use to make sure that what he is building is, of course, what? Straight. uh, Drywallers love a good carpenter who uses a straight edge, right? They know it's going to be easy to lay the drywall. In fact, a straight edge, get this, this is really cool, is what you check everything else from. 
If your straight edge is warped or bent or got dropped and is no longer even just a little bit, it's just a little off, you have to throw away the whole thing. Because it doesn't matter if the rest of it's good, it no longer serves its purpose of being the thing by which you test everything else. So what David says is that I test all other laws by this law, which is perfect, not the other way around. I don't look at the Bible and say, well, this new U.S. law says this, and the Bible says this. No, I, I take all of those laws, and I put them against this. This is the straight edge. This is unchanging. Our laws change with every generation, don't they? And, and we'll think we are so right, but then we look at our grandparents and our great-grandparents, and we see some of the things we believed, and we're like, oh, they were so unmodern. What do you think your kids are going to think in 50 years or so about us and this current generation? You think they're going to be like, oh, they were so wise. You see, it's cultural. It's all cultural. This is not cultural. This transcends time and laws and cultures. And it's still here. It's still the straight edge. The law of the Lord is perfect. And then, this is so cool, he goes on. Uh, in the original Hebrew, he doesn't say the Lord, it's Jehovah. And he's going to say it six times. The law of Jehovah is perfect. The statutes of Jehovah are trustworthy. The precepts of Jehovah are right. The commands of Jehovah are radiant. The fear of Jehovah is pure. The decree of Jehovah, the decrees of Jehovah are firm. And all of them are righteous. And so he shows that by understanding that the law is something that is there to love you, protect you, and keep you, he then breaks down all of the parts of the law, the precepts, the statutes, the commands, the fear of the Lord, and, the, and God's decrees. And he says, each of these keep me safe. Have you ever sat and praised God for his discipline in your life? I don't mean just said thank you. I mean praised him. Fall on your face and say, oh, thank you. Thank you that your command is for me not to be addicted to the things of the world. And you're setting me free from the ones that I was addicted to. Thank you that you have put in me a fear of you so that I cannot just dismiss you like so many others do. Thank you for upholding in me your decrees because they're good and they're righteous and they're for my benefit. Thank you that while I was too ignorant to understand it, you did not let me go. What I have is the picture of that little kid on the corner of a sidewalk in the street, pulling on his dad's arm as hard as he can, not realizing that if the dad let go, he's gone, right? Thank you that you never let go. This is a new level of praise and worship, friends. This is like... You know, in a video game, we're going to the next level here. This is a bonus. This is high level 100. But here's the thing. It's really not. Because if you say you have a relationship with the Lord, but we cannot praise the Lord for the very foundational things of who he is and how he loves us, then what you have is you have a religion with Jesus, not a relationship with him. And a religion with him will only take you so far. And it will fail you, and it will break down, and it will be exactly what every other religion in this world is, just a false attempt to bring safety, security, and refreshing to your soul. 
David goes on to say all of those things, your precepts, your command, they're more precious than gold. They're more sweet than honey straight from the honeycomb. And then listen to this. He prepares us for the third verse, right? We're getting to the end of the song here. He prepares us. He says, by them, your servant is warned. And when I keep all of these things, great is my reward. I get it. Could you imagine going back to your younger self, seeing yourself pull on your father's hand and actually now have the wisdom to see the danger of the street and then just be able to look to your father and say, oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you that you didn't give me what I wanted. Thank you that you did not give in to me kicking and screaming and throwing a fit. Thank you that you remained what? Perfect, the straight edge. So now we get into verse three, right? The, the dramatic conclusion to this worship song. This is how it goes. So who can discern their own errors? Forgive me my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willfully sinning so that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of any great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock. And say this last one with me, my Redeemer. Now, if you're in here today and you're saying, I love your heart, Pastor, and I love your passion, but I cannot manufacture this love with the Lord that you're talking about. I've tried. I can't just make it up. I can't just wake up one day and be like, oh my gosh, I'm in love with him. That's not how any relationship works, right? You didn't come to love your spouse because you just woke up one day and you're like, yep, that's the one. Rest of my life, I'm going to love, sacrifice, give everything I have for it. No, there was time, there was relationship. You worked at it, right? And some of you in here are saying, I have spent years in church and reading the Bible and service. I don't have that love. I don't know what to do. Do you hear me? I know some of you today are feeling this. I just, it's not there. And so I, I, I keep showing up. I keep going to church. I keep reading my Bible. I hope it comes. I, ho I hope one day I can be as passionate as David or you are. It's just not there. It leaves us with a question, how? How do we get there? And I'd be wrong for me to leave here today without telling you the answer is in the final word of this song. That's where the answer is. The final word of this song is Redeemer. He's the Redeemer. You see, David prayed and loved the Lord before he knew the full plan of redemption. You and I get to live in a time when God is not just in the whirlwind or in the cloud of fire. He's not in the trumpet or even the whisper. Instead, he's in something much greater. I want to show you. Turn to Hebrews. I should, we have it on the screen, but you can turn to Hebrews 12, 18. So this is the writer of Hebrews talking about a father's discipline, right? Which is pretty fitting for what we've been talking about. But then we get to 18, and he's going to contrast what happened at Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion. And this is what he says. 
You have not come to a mountain that may be touched or to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and a whirlwind or a blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound such that those who heard them begged that no further word should be spoken for they could not bear the command. And the command was this, even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you, this is you, all of you in here today, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. You who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel, you have been redeemed. Your sins have been paid for. Your mistakes have been taken care of. All of your addiction, should you wish to lay it at his feet, could be taken away. You have been redeemed. You've been bought back at a price. You didn't pay a dime for it and yet you've been redeemed. You're upheld. You're loved. Even in the midst of you kicking and screaming and pulling against the Father, you're loved. When you let that sink in, when you understand that He's not just a God who's going to smite you when you make a mistake, but you understand he's a father who has given everything to be with you. When that finally sinks in, I'm telling you, you won't be able to not praise him like this. Isn't that what Paul says? Paul says, I can't not not speak the word when they say, okay, you can leave, but you're going to have to stop preaching. He's like, sorry. It's like breathing. I can't not breathe. I can't not speak of who Jesus is. I can tell you when, for me, the church and God stopped being religion and became my own. It was in youth group, right? We got our, we got our high schoolers coming back from youth camp right now, actually, at 12.30. My son said they were going to be here. So I can't wait to hear how that went. But it was my senior year at youth camp. And I remember we were doing the worship, and that was like usual. I'd been in church my whole life, and then this message was given. And the understanding of how I was loved was so poured out perfectly through that speaker that for the first time, it was not the uncomfortable shoes or the bow tie I had to wear to church or the devotions I had to do or the no sex before marriage, no rock and roll, no drinking, all the stuff I was doing to be a good Christian boy. I'm telling you, all of those fell away like scales on my eyes. And for the first time, I saw him. I saw my sin, my rebellion, my hate in my heart. And I, I saw him at this camp take it from me. And it wasn't just like he took it, but he took it and I felt him say, here's what I'm going to give you. And I, it was, <laughs> I can't even fully explain to you what he put in, in there in replacement of those things. And it wasn't just love, peace, and joy. It was like, here's talent. Here's courage. Here's honesty. Here's a boldness where before you were a coward. I'm giving you my boldness. Go. Man, this is, this is what it is to let this happen. And what I want here today as we close is just for you to understand there's a different, there's a better way. 
There's a better way to all of this. And the beauty of Psalm 19 is, it, is he's worshiping the Lord with perfect doctrine. And so now all the questions I have, all the questions I have about are Christians loving and how do we fit into a world that is so different and how do I answer friends who believe that God is unloving to them or doesn't, they're not welcome in the church and all of these, all of that is just, uh, it's noise. It's, let's imagine somebody coming up to you and you're using your level as a straight edge and they're like, hey, we, why don't you use this? I found it on that tree over there. It's just as good as your level. It's just got knots in it, and it's all going in different directions. And they're trying to use that as their straight edge. And you say, just give me a minute. I'm not going to live this way, or I'm not going to believe this way because my religion says so. I've spent time with my Savior. I've looked at his precepts. And in my heart, I see what is true. And I love you, but this is how I'm going to live my life. This is how I'm going to live. That is what the Christian stand needs to look like. It doesn't need to be some hate-filled, you're going to hell, you don't have it right. It needs to be, I have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ that is different than religion. And after looking at his precepts, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to live. And I welcome you in. I, I, I want you to have this relationship too. I want you to know him this way. But if you don't want to, that's okay. I get it but this is how I'm going to live my life now. That's the beauty of this. By all of these, your servant has been warned, and in keeping them, there is a great reward. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart. Remember last week, Psalm 1, what was it he did day and night? He meditated on the law, the word, the law, day and night. And here again at the end of 19, by these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, may this be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my King, my foundation, my rock, and my Redeemer. That's what we're about here at LifePoint. That's what the Christianity is about. The other stuff is noise. You get this right, everything else comes into alignment. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that today, Father God, as we close in communion and worship, that your spirit would lead some in here. You, you already are. I see it. I see it all over the faces, God. Your spirit is already drawing people. You're already moving on hearts. So I pray for the same courage you gave me in that room up in the woods 20 plus years ago. God, I pray you'd give courage. I pray, pray you would give boldness where there was once fear. And I pray there would be men and women here today who would come to a relationship like this. Lord God, uphold us today. Where there are those who are broken and hurting, who are sick, who are addicted, who are lost to the world, that you would reach out your hand and pull them up. And Lord, that we would be bold enough and courageous enough to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.